to four Hebrews. We're looking at message 10 today. Our great high priest. And if you remember, the preceding verses told us about the Word of God living, <coughs> excuse me, active, powerful. Now, we're looking at, in these three verses, not the written Word of God, but the living Word of God, that is, Jesus Christ, the Son. <coughs> Excuse me. Kurt, could you hand me my water bottle? Thank you. Thank you. Well, we see the author of Hebrews picking up in verse 14 a major theme of this book is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Several times it will talk about a priest who mediates the new covenant of God. There are other covenants in Scripture. Covenant and a priest for that covenant. And what we have here is Jesus Christ as God's priest and mediator. A priest sufficient for all our needs. So in verse 14, based on what he said, he says, seeing then, we have a great high priest. The first thing we see here to be reminded of, there is this great high priest, a holy high priest, who stands and works before his holy Father God. In the history of the human race, there have been thousands, perhaps millions, of priests in various religions who say they stand before God to represent man before God. We know that these are often just false things, false teachings, false sacrifices that have no value. What do we need as sinners before a holy God? What we need is a priest capable and able to represent God's people 
a priest who was holy and unblemished. So the first thing he tells us, seeing that we have a priest like that, a great high priest. Again, in Judaism, there have been priests. There are high priests appointed every year to rule the other priests. At the time of Jesus, we're told there were some 18,000 priests to minister in the temple and in the synagogues. But one high priest to lead them But what he's saying here is there's a greater priest than they were, this great high priest. What does he say? This great high priest that we have. Did you ever notice that little word there, we? Who asked this priest? You and I do, brothers and sisters. By faith in this priest, this priest is yours. This priest represents you before his Holy Father. That's what we need. We can't stand there based on our own merit, our own righteousness. We need this priest, and we have him. We're united to him by faith. That should be good news to you, that this priest is for you today. You might sometimes Wonder, is Jesus for me? Yes, he is. He lives to make intercession for his people. So be encouraged that you, by faith, are in relationship to this great priest of God. He tells us, that this priest has passed through the heavens and he sits now on his rightful throne, the throne at the right-hand side of God the Father. The throne promised him in Psalm 110. This priest, be reminded He came from heaven to earth, as the song goes, from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, and from the grave back to the heavens to sit on his throne as prophet, priest, and king. So be reminded 
we have a priest like this. You're in a relationship to him. He knows you. He knows your needs. He cares about you. He loves you. Because he has worked for you in his life and death. Now, to make sure we know who this is, remember this letter is written to Hebrew Christians who are scattered by persecution and they're afraid should we stay with Jesus? Should we go back to Judaism? Should we turn to something else? And the author is saying, stay with Jesus. This is the priest to remind you. Verse 14 says, this priest <laughs> who came from God, did his work, returned to God, is Jesus Christ. That's his name. That's his title. And if you doubt this, this is the Son of God. How many people challenge us, like on 69th Street, is Jesus the Son? That doesn't make sense. Does God have a wife to have a son? No. This is the eternal begotten Son of God. Jesus is his human name in English. In Hebrew, Yeshua. So, this is our priest. It is Jesus. It is God's only Son, whom God the Father loves. Don't be in doubt that the Father loves the Son. The Father sent him on this mission of redemption. It was an act of God's mercy, but he always loves his son. They are unified in their purpose and being. At Jesus' baptism, the God the Father spoke and said, this is what? My beloved son. At the Transfiguration, Peter, John, James saw the change in Jesus and God the Father say, this is my son, my beloved son, listen to him. So the author is reminding us. 
this priest is God's son doing God's work. God the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And he says, let us, that is, his people, specifically these Hebrew Christians, but this applies to all of us, let us, his people, his church, hold fast to our confession. You see how easy it is just to read these phrases. But what he's saying is, we're united to this priest, Jesus the Son. You confess faith in him. So, stay with Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Abide with Jesus. You don't need any other priest. You don't need any other prophet. You don't need any other Lord. How did you become a Christian? Romans 10 said, we heard the word, preached, we believed it, we confessed it with our mouths. We called upon the name of the Lord Jesus, our great priest. And he's reminding us, that's who you confessed before men. Stay with the person you confessed. Don't look elsewhere. Don't look to another prophet. Don't look to the work of another man. Look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> Why is this important? It's because many people think I tried Jesus, and it didn't work for me. So I'm going to Buddha, or Muhammad, or somebody else. And the writers say, don't do that. Hold fast. The idea of hold fast is like the grip on. Don't let go. Cling to Walk with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? But we don't do that some days. Some days we turn away in disbelief. Is Jesus true? Is he coming again? Will he be king? Are the nations given to him? We have doubts. Well, what if there is World War III? What if the world is a mess? What did the prophet Habakkuk say? Facing the conquest by Babylon, 
He said, if everything becomes a mess, I'm trusting God. The just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith. We're justified by faith. We're to live by faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord. So, as you have doubts and fears, the author is saying, don't look at yourself. Don't look at governments and world leaders. Don't look to riches and happiness. Focus your eyes on Jesus, the author, finisher of your faith, the anchor of your soul. We're called to hold fast to Jesus whom we put our faith in. John 15 said virtually the same thing. I am the true vine. You are my branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Brothers and sisters, another way of saying, hold fast to whom you confessed is to say, abide with Jesus. Today, tomorrow, every day. <clears throat> Again, a couple of weeks ago, I encouraged you, as your Bible reading, to read the Gospels every day. Why? Because it's Jesus. It's the person and work of Jesus. This is the bread of life, the living water, the resurrection, and the life, the good shepherd. The true vine, the door, the way, the truth. So, if you get nothing else out of this today, hold fast to Jesus. Despite the troubles, despite suffering, hardship, persecution, This is what you can pray for yourself and for us as a church. This is what you can pray for for Christians in the Ukraine or in Russia. Brothers and sisters, hold on to Christ, your priest. His work, his priesthood is sufficient. So we have this holy high priest before our holy God. Now, what about this priest? Verse 15 tells us something 
very important for our peace and our well-being. The author says, this high priest is compassionate, he's sympathetic. So what we have is not only a priest who did his work and returned to God the Father. And God the Father said, good job, son. Sit down at your throne. Your glory is restored. It would be tempting for him to say, you guys are on your own. But he's not that way. This priest is sympathetic to our needs. Please don't miss this. This priest cares about you. He cares about the people he died for. He cares that not one of his people, his elect, would be lost. You see, other priests, they can do their priesthood just out of duty, not caring about their subjects, not compassionate. Eli's sons were bad priests. Jesus is a good priest who sympathizes with us. And he says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Are you weak? Are you tempted? Do you struggle with sin patterns? What's he tell us here? This priest knows about that, cares about that, and is sufficient to help us in our weakness, our need. Notice he says, that it's this priest, the only priest, who can be a savior and a mediator. We read in Timothy 2, there's one God, one mediator. A mediator is a person who negotiates a dispute between two parties. We, sinful people, need somebody to represent us between, before a holy God. We can't do it. It's this priest who stands before us and before God for us. This is the one we confess allegiance to. The whole fasting. You said 
You wanted Jesus to be Savior and Lord. So hold to Him. Because He's sympathetic. Greatly humbled. How great was His humiliation to come from heaven to earth to become a man. Someone has said it's greater than a man would be to become like a worm. For God the Son to take on human flesh to still be 100% God but become 100% me. To be born of a woman under the law and then to suffer death on the cross. This priest was humbled on the behalf of his people for sinners. He wasn't a sinner, but he took on himself our sin because he's sympathetic to us. He cares about us. <clears throat> it's this son of God that was given. Remember, Isaiah 9 said, that great verse that we use at Christmas. The son was given. The child was born. It's this Jesus, the son of God, who's born in a humble state as a man. Fully God, fully man. And he had to learn obedience. He had to learn to obey his mother, his father, the Jewish leaders, even Roman leaders. He even submits to Pontius Pilate for the sake of his mission. He was perfect as the Son of God, but as fully man, he had to learn things and obey. Disobedience would be sinful. He had to obey. And he says here, he's tempted. He understands our weakness. He's tempted in all points of the law. You know, sometimes it's easy to think. Jesus doesn't understand my problem today. Many times I thought this course on dealing with temptation. I don't know 
maybe 15 times. And I always start the course by asking people, is it harder today in the 21st century or back when Paul wrote those things, the first Corinthians? Everybody always says, it's much harder today. So many more temptations. But it's not. Temptation is common to every man, in every age, in every way. Maybe not to the same degree. But we're all tempted to break all ten of God's moral law. <clears throat> and I suggest to you that what the author is getting at here is that Jesus Christ as a man fully tempted to disobey God to break all those commandments. The first table of the law toward God. The second table during a million. Jesus was tempted to be an idolater. What did Satan say? Bow down and worship me. I'll give you kingdoms. So, Jesus knows what you're dealing with. What your temptations are. And he knows how to help you because he has gone through every temptation. And he did not sin, the writer says. Tempted in all points, yet without sin. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, he understands your weakness today. He understands your fears. Did he not have fear to go to the cross? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Satan tempted him. In the early chapters of the Gospels. But it says there, Satan left him till it was a more convenient time to tempt Jesus. So we can believe that Satan certainly tempted Jesus in the garden to deny God the Father and go a different direction. But Jesus obeyed to the glory of God, to do the will of God. Jesus suffered as a man. He had to learn obedience and submission as a man. But because of this, he understands the depths of your need, your fears, 
your unbelief, your doubts. Jesus' righteous record applies to the fact that he was tempted at all points of the law. So, what might be your struggle? Telling lies. Jesus' record is good. <coughs> I am the truth. He didn't lie. Do we struggle with idolatry? Jesus was not an idolater. He loved his Father <coughs> with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do we struggle loving a particular person or move toward anger or malice and revenge? But Jesus loved people, loved his neighbor well. He was like a sheep led to slaughter, but he did not open his mouth to revile them. Jesus was tempted by the world as a man by the devil. But he did not sin. That's important because the lamb sacrificed for sin had to be unblemished. You could not go to your flock and I'll say, I'll get the blind one. I'll get the one with three legs. I'll get the short, scrawny, sick one. And that'll be good enough to take to the temple. You had to bring the best of your flock. God gave to us the best. The unblemished, sinless Son of God to be the ransom for his people to bear away sin. He was tempted. The world said, let's make you an earthly king. The world said, give us bread. Let's do more miracles. The devil said, worship me. And in his own spirit as a man. Should I obey or disobey? I hesitate to use the word flesh as we would understand. But Jesus, fully man, did not have a sin nature. Amen. He was sinless. But we have a sin nature. And the flesh fights against us. Our desires. Tell us, break these commandments. Live as you want. Get your own way. But Jesus 
our priest, our righteous record, went a different direction of perfect obedience. And therefore, he's the unblemished Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So we have this great priest who did God's work that God is satisfied with. A work sufficient to pay the penalty for sin. The Roman Catholics tell us you start with Jesus and you have to keep working. Maybe you go through years of purgatory to get to heaven. That's not the gospel. The gospel says Jesus in his active and passive obedience paid the price for sin once and for all. His sacrifice is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His priesthood is sufficient. So, cling to that. This is who we confess and are to abide with. So don't lose hope. Jesus is for you. And he's sufficient for your needs. And again, 1 Corinthians 10.13 remind us, no temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to me. But with the temptation, God will give you a way of escape. Jesus' righteousness and grace is sufficient. The power of the Spirit is sufficient. We don't have to give in to sin. Temptation is there. But there's escape in Christ. The struggle comes oftentimes because we like our sin. We love darkness. And so we turn to those patterns. But Jesus is not satisfied with us staying like we were. He wants to make us holy. The goal is to make us Christ-like. To make us like the Lamb of God, our High Priest. Now, the last point of verse 16. Since we have this great priest who's done the work that we needed, done the work that satisfied God's wrath, this high priest who's sympathetic and gracious Verse 16 says, Let us therefore, when you see 
a word like therefore. He's making application to what he just said. I've just said we have a great priest whom you confessed, who's sympathetic and able. Therefore, therefore, you Christian people, you Hebrew Christians, come boldly to the throne of grace. So because we have Christ, whom we're united to, whom we're clinging to, this is a call to bold, radical prayer. But we have a hard time praying, don't we? Is Jesus true? Is the word of God true? The world's a mess. My family's a mess. My country's a mess. My kids are disobedient. I'm a mess. Why pray? Or we, this is a little problem. Why pray? I can do this. Oh, this is a big problem. Maybe I better pray. We don't pray because we're self-reliant. We think we can do it in our strength and our power. But we're weak sinners and we need Jesus who's strong, who's at God's right hand, who's alive. He's not dead. He lives to intercede for you and me, his people. He knows our needs. He prays even before we open our mouths. He knows our patterns, our weaknesses, our fears. So because of this, because Jesus is strong, the call here is Christian bold prayer. Approach this throne of Jesus Christ. He says, this throne where grace is supplied. Approach the throne of grace. That's God the Father, yes. And God the Son. Is it the throne of grace? Or is it the throne of anger? And justice only. Has not the triune God been gracious to a lost world, to us as sinners? Is not this whole plan of redemption the priesthood of Jesus, his person and work, a display of grace. Do we expect 
that having started this work, Jesus will turn his back and say, finish it. Or, my back is turned to you. I won't hear your prayers. Now he's saying, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep can bleed out to me because I'm a good shepherd to them. So be encouraged. You can boldly, in all weakness and doubt, ask Jesus for help. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are not off in some distant corner of the universe. Billions of light years away where you can't reach them. Where does Jesus sit? He sits right beside his Father. And he knows what you pray about. But we don't like to pray, do we? It's hard work. But the call here is you have Jesus, you have access to his throne. So don't be timid. Be bold. Approach with confidence. Not in your strength. Not in your righteousness. But the fact is, you approach God with confidence because you are God's child by faith. You've been adopted. Good fathers know how to care for their children. So, be bold with your father and your priest, your elder brother. And what do we ask for? In verse 16, that we may obtain two things. We might obtain mercy. Mercy basically means we find compassion and love from God. Our God is a just God, but He's not mean-spirited toward His people. He loves us. He wants good things for us. He wants peace for us. He promises that He'll provide all that we need if we ask for our daily bread. God will provide what we need in His time. If we got what we deserve, we would get justice. But we get what God gives us, which is mercy. 
compassion, loving kindness that never fails for all of this life and eternity. Do you need mercy? Have you sinned? Have you need forgiveness? You go to your father and your priest Jesus. Not only mercy, but this continued pouring out of God's grace to his people. Grace that is sufficient for our need today. I don't do it on my own strength. I can't do it. But Jesus is able and willing. John 1.17 said, The law given through Moses. Do we want the law? Obey the law. Keep the law. That doesn't help us. There's no hope there. We can't do it. No. Grace and truth are given through Jesus. What do we need? Mercy. Grace. It's dispensed through Jesus. This great priest of ours. So bold prayer. Pray the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Ask for mercy. Ask for grace. And He will give it to you. As you pray in confidence. And the last phrase. He promises this. To help you when you're needy. When you're weak, <clears throat> when you cannot go further, sometimes we are tested beyond what we'd ever be able. It's God's strength and God's grace. That will sustain you. Give you power. Give you the will to obey. The ability to obey. The ability to even pray. Simple prayers. A couple days ago, I just watched a documentary about Great Denbu. The Dutch woman in the concentration camp. So many times, she and her sister, how can we get past this? And they always come back to God's grace will sustain us. We have this priest, sufficient, able, his priesthood complete, his work done. He lives to make intercession. 
this priest will soon return also as king to judge the world, but to gather his people into him for all eternity. Cling to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus in prayer. You can ask about the big issues and you can ask about the small things. Come to Jesus. Bold, confident prayer to find grace and mercy because He's sufficient to help you in your time of need. Action points. I'd like you to read a few chapters in Hebrews. Chapter 5, chapter 6 especially. Second, and the rest in trust Jesus Christ for your care. He is your faithful, eternal, loving priest who represents you before God the Father. He's your mediator. When we sin, he's our advocate, our defense attorney before God. So, rest in and trust Jesus. Jesus alone. I didn't start with Jesus and I finished with someone else. You started with Jesus. You finished with Jesus. And then the third point, do not fear boldly to step by faith into the presence of this God, this King, who loves you, who died for you, who was raised for you, who gave us His Spirit. Yes, we might have to come with humility and confession of sin and repentance, but we come as a child to our Father and our Lord and Savior. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. It's easier to grumble, to complain, to try to work it out myself than to pray about even simple things. But the call is trust Jesus. The call is, brothers and sisters, let's change our, par our prayer life starting today to bold, confident prayer because the Word of God is true and Jesus is true and sufficient. Father, thank you for these short verses that teach us many things 
about the power and sufficiency of Jesus. Thank you that he's able. Thank you that you care, that you love. You want to give us mercy and grace. Thank you that we have this great high priest whose work was satisfactory and who's sympathetic to sinners like us. May these verses change us to go to Christ, to abide with Jesus, the true vine, and bear much fruit. Amen. Thank you.